Hello, Legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member Evelyn Jackson, founder and CEO of Corporate Crayon. Corporate Crayon is a creative agency that specializes on companies' talent rather than their customers. Evelyn made me ask two big questions to myself in this episode, and they were, what does my team say about Cub to people that aren't on the team? And what do prospective team members think or see about our company and team from the outside? In addition, me and Evelyn discussed how to manage a diverse team, including the different cultures that each new generation brings to the workforce, how to create an innovative niche within your industry, and why that's so important. Evelyn is a master at people and culture, and I learned a lot, so I hope you do too. Enjoy the show. You have a very unique business. In fact, in all of my years at Cub, which is basically my entire adult life, I have never come across a creative agency that specializes in work that focuses on the talent of a business. So creative work that focuses on, yeah, I guess people and culture. Yep. How, how, is, how did you come up with that? Uh, well, uh, my background is traditionally in HR and organizational design. So I spent a good part of 18 to 20 years doing that. Um, and in my last role, I was really fortunate that um, I was given corporate communications um, underneath the HR function. Um, it was a regional role, so it was quite big and diverse and complex. And um, I saw the benefits of what fusing together communications and HR made to the organisation and so I just thought, hey, why not do that for more people? Yeah, it's kind of like marketing, but to your to your team. Yeah. No, the, like, yeah. to your team and potential yeah. team members. But so, so what what does that look like? So, for example, like things that come to the top of my head is like your recruitment page and a website, uh, internal vision, purpose, culture type of documents yeah. and and training. Yeah. Uh, so, what's the type of work that you're doing? Yep, so exactly that. Yep, so um, they want to transform their culture. Um, Maybe they've got a new CEO um, and that new CEO wants a new direction and he's trying to rally the troops, you know, that kind of like I've come in and I want to rally the troops behind this new objective. And they often just get someone to write a script for them. They go out and do a town hall or something and that lands flat. Um, And then they go, why aren't people following us or doing what we want them to do? And usually that's because they've not gone through that process that marketers go through when they're trying to sell a product. And so I just thought, why are we giving customers more of a priority in that process and not the people that are making that happen? So, yeah, well, that's a very good point. So when a new CEO comes into a, to a corporate or, or any company, they do, they, like, I mean, I would imagine having their own little marketing campaign towards the Yep. So it's kind of like when you become president or prime minister, yes. you know, yes. like this is what I'm going to do. This yep. is, It's a really cool job. Yeah. And you can, large companies. Very political. In, yeah. And large companies in particular um, have layers and layers of management and leaders. And so it's very important for people to filter that communications through. And so what we do is we also turn that into a campaign that is visual, that is impactful, that talks to what people want to hear 
effectively so they buy into whatever that messaging might be. And so like when you're doing a marketing campaign for, for customers, like a, a normal campaign, yeah, you obviously you go do market research, you get data, you find yep. out what their pain points are, what messages they relate to most. Yep. It, so you take that same approach yep. and you do it for your, for, for the, t- for, for teams. Yeah, exactly that. And so what's that process like? So for example, like for, for people listening, you know, how could they learn from your process as to in some way implement something similar for themselves? Yeah. Um, so um, I always say to people, start with who is the audience you're talking to um, and really try and understand that audience first. And um, if you put yourself in the shoes of that audience, um, how would you go about even understanding them? Because some people may respond really well to things like surveys. So we do diagnostics, um, usually with some companies, but some people just want to be observed in their day to day, you know, like they don't want to be filling out any questionnaire. Um, Some people might want to participate in a discussion. So any research method needs to be really catering to that audience. So I always say to people, start with really putting yourself in the shoes of that person or that group of people. Um, And then once you do that, and it's a bit like... um, um, in design thinking, they tell you that you use empathy to really start your process. Um, it's similar to that in that you really need to put yourself in the shoes of that audience and then go, okay, now how are we going to get to know them? But what happens when you have a very diverse team? Because then everybody's very different. Yes. And, you know, if you got, I mean, even with 30 people, that would be hard. Yeah. But if you got 100 people, yeah. how do you do that? So we tend to do um, the research on a variety of methods. So um, we'll say um, we do a design thinking map, empathy map, which basically looks at um, what are this person's pain points, what are this person's strengths or ambitions, what are they hearing in the organisation, what are they hearing in competitors, um, what's the, what, what are they reading. Um, and so I, we take people through that journey and if we can get a map happening so we really understand that audience, we can then go, okay, now we know how to research this group of people. It's also kind of interesting to have an outside, like an outsourced party come into a company yeah. and interview the team in that manner. Yeah. Because, you know, as the manager, especially as the owner, yeah. you know, most nine times out of ten you're not getting, you're not going to get the, the, the real story. Yeah. Um, uh, which is sad, but, but look, I, I think no matter how good your culture is, it's probably true. Um, so it, even just that is an interesting thought and process is like, well, what would my team say to people that aren't within that team, especially that aren't managers or, or, yep. or seniors to them on that team, even just having that would be interesting. Yep. But then what you're doing is taking a step further. You're saying, okay, well, what are all these people saying? And then you're saying, Okay, how, how can we well, – first of all, you're actually identifying problems and things so yep. so the leadership team can be like, okay, well, maybe, you know, these should be my yep. campaign slogans. Yes, yeah, like yes. Should, I should design these. And then yep. you create, I guess, the marketing strategy towards the team yep. to get them on board with the leader's new vision. Yeah, that's exactly it. And what tends to happen is people say also it's just marketing or it's just a slogan or it's just a logo – but usually we don't get to that point until we've gone through that extensive discovery process, as we call it. Um, and so what happens is if I'm the audience receiving that logo or that slogan, 
I immediately identify with it. And so actually I don't mind that you're selling me a vision or a strategy because I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. That's the one I want. That's right. So it's kind of, it's a win-win. Your website should say on it, are you curious what your staff say about your business to the outside world? Because that is a really big that's question. True. Yeah, and I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and, and you could even run that same process. It might be a bit more difficult. But you could run that same process with applicants. We do that. that. Yeah. Oh, do you do that? We do that, yeah. Yeah, because what do outside people think yes. of your business? Because yeah. you might think inside. We, we actually had this problem at Cub a long time, and I'd be curious if this is a common problem. Yeah. Whereas uh, on the inside of the, the business, we had this actually both for customers and for clients at one point, yeah. which shows we probably didn't have our content or brand correct. But but uh, inside Cub was incredible. People loved it, whether it be customers or team. Te- let's talk about the team in this case because that's yeah. what you do. Um, our team is the best part of the company. Yeah. But from the outside, p- people didn't get that vibe. They didn't see that or we weren't communicating that or or whatever it may be. And the reason I know that is I think three people mentioned it to me like, oh, you know, what would, you know, I don't know about your team. It looks like this or whatever. And that really struck a chord with me. I was like, okay, well, there's some sort of, yeah. there's some sort of gap preventing people from realizing just how incredible this culture and team is. And you can help people identify that. Yeah. And um, one of the things that we do is what we call a talent preference survey. And that basically is scanning the marketplace and doing the same process with people you want to hire now or in the future. And so it gives people a really good understanding of, well, what do those people want? Um, but and are they a match, you know, to what we may want? Because some people, you might think you want them, but then when you find out what they want, you go, actually, well, that's not what we can give. So what's the point? Yeah, but wouldn't there be a slippery slope? Like <laughs> it's going to be like, I want more money and I want to work from wherever I want. Ah, you'd be surprised. You reckon? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Right, you don't have to reckon. You would know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. I think one of the things we ask people genuinely to think about is um, what genuinely makes them happy, um, not just in the workplace but generally, and then um, ask them to put themselves back into that experience, whatever, you know, the time that they were really at their happiest. And uh, we ask them um, what were the – circumstances surrounding that experience. And so we strive to really unpick um, and understand um, what's going to drive that person's motivation to perform if they then get a job in a company. Oh, that's a good question. Mm. What makes you happy? Yeah, yeah. In a broader sense. It, much, yeah, much broader, um, yeah. And what, what type of responses would you get from that? Oh, some people might say, you know, the happiest was when I was travelling um, and then you might go, well, why is that? Tell me a bit more about that. And they might say, well, I like the sense of adventure. I like the fact that I was just travelling with a backpack. On. Well, why is that? So you start to unpick that and then you try and identify, is money really important um, or is the actual driver they just want money because it fuels the adventure, you know, so that that's quite different. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really important. So. so then the communications to that person might need to have some visual around adventures, right? And so when you start to put all the groups of information together, we distill that and then we come up with a campaign. Amazing. Yeah. And so how did you start your career? Um, I started as a recruitment coordinator uh, at OPSM. Mm-hmm. So um, OPSM's the glasses, yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was my first job after uni. 
Before that, I was a store manager at McDonald's. <laughs> yep. Um, and while that was really hard and I did that for four years, um, I actually think it did teach me to be quite empathetic to other people, learn about customer service, learn about money and profitability, all of those things. Yeah. My, my old man, uh, my entire teenage life said your first job has to be at, well, originally he said at McDonald's. Um, because you're going to learn it's the best business you, you can yeah. ever ever learn. Um, I ended up working at a pizza shop. But, but yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. To, to, and and ha- I guess how did McDonald's teach you uh, about empathy? Well, I think so the store that I managed had a complete diversity of team. So everything from people from Nepal to Australians to teenagers that didn't really give a shit to um, people that just needed a real job. Um, you know, maybe immigrants or whatever, um, and all shapes and sizes uh, fitting into a uniform, you know. So, for example, that was a real thing then, um, you know, people that maybe didn't fit into the uniforms but still wanted to look their best and that kind of conversation. Um, So from early on I think I started asking questions, kind of going, tell me about you, like why why are you not, you know, why is this not working (laughs) kind of style. Um, And I think that taught me to really understand that people are different and that it's important to um, adjust how you communicate when you're talking to them because they might receive what you're trying to say differently to what you intended as well. Mm. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues with communication. People are saying something and people aren't understanding what they're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. people say stupid shit when they're trying yeah. to, you know, they're, they're, they're saying it wrong. Yeah. But, but I think that that's a huge miscommunication. Yeah. And so you you felt like you found your, I guess, your passion yeah. at, at McDonald's, ironically, which yeah. is, which wasn't fast food or anything. It was <laughs> understanding people. Yeah, and people. managing people. I think when I was able to manage the team, I think I thought, oh, I quite like this. And that's when I think I decided to go into HR. That was the reason I kind of went down that path. Um, I was doing an economics degree to begin with and my parents had said economics, go be a management consultant at Accenture or whatever it was, I think it was Anderson's at the time. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I did, had that job and I was like, nah, I kind of like the people side. Um, so then I went and did that um, and I think that was the best decision because it really suits my personality. So um, I think that's the other thing we say to people like, do what you love but also make sure it suits you like you know otherwise it's hard work and people get quite tired I think because they're in a job that maybe doesn't suit who they genuinely are yeah just your pa- follow your passion yeah. I mean that's a that's a trend that comes up a lot in the podcast like particularly from those that are really the best at what they do it's always like no I love what I, it's, you know, I'm passionate yeah. about it yeah uh, and I think you can be very successful um, doing something you're not passionate about. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I actually think it's almost could make you stronger in some ways because, you know, that, what's that saying? If you do something you hate like you love it, you're a fucking champion or something like that. You know, that second half wasn't part of the quote. But, <laughs> but you know, it was that, yeah. that that was the point it was getting yeah. across. And, and my old man always used to say that to me. Go to school. It's a good way to learn how to be good at something that you really don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, that, uh, th- there is power in that. But, yeah. but then when you find the thing, you know, yeah. if you know how to do that and then you yeah. find the thing that that you are passionate about, yeah. you, you put in ten times the effort. Yeah, yeah you do. Yeah. Until, um, yeah. 
Like no, on. And I guess tell me, um, what are some what, what stages the business at? And and uh, actually, sorry, no, tell me, when did you start your own business? So when did you make the transition from uh, working yeah. within organisations to oh, you know what, I want to do my own thing? So I climbed up the ladder in HR jobs, leadership jobs. Um, Where did you end up? I ended up in a global job uh, for a massive FMCG company looking after their organisational design and leadership development and engagement. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was offered a global job um, but it was based overseas and I had a young family so I was like, I'm not moving. I love I love the beach so I was like, I'm staying here, I'm sorry, I'm not going to a cold country. It was a cold country. Um, and I kind of went, oh, Okay, so I've turned that down. So now what? You know, like I can't really state. Like it's a bit weird in that situation. You kind of go. Um, and to be honest, the um, when you get to that level in a big FMCG company, it's relentless. Like um, it is like relentless, not just hours, but the travel's relentless. The demands are relentless. You're making big decisions, which are quite hard, you know, Um you know, I had to close companies down. Um, so I had to walk into a company here in Australia and literally do the announcement that we were closing that company and making, you know, over 100 people redundant. Um, oh, my God. What is um, that feeling Things like, like that. Um, yeah. What was your – what were your – tell me that story. What were your emotions as you are oh, getting there it's, and walking in? I mean, um, it's interesting because it was a company I was very passionate about. <laughs> So um, I quite like the company and the products, um, but essentially it was acquired and it wasn't making money. Um, and um, I actually, um, in I was overseeing the communication actually, and um, I had to make the announcement with the um, president, and um, we made it together. And then um, I had a legal team person review it, and then they kind of. I like to say bastardize it. Um, you know, they took the emotion out of it. And um As legal teams do. As legal teams do. And and then um I made a comment in an email to someone before we went in. Um and um I just said, um I just said, Oh, I feel like you've made it like vanilla. Like, you know, when you have a vanilla milkshake, and that's what I actually wrote. <laughs> I just said, there's something wrong with this. Like, it feels like it's a vanilla milkshake. Um, and I, I don't you know, I don't know how we can fix that. Anyway, they came back and said, that's what you need to go with or something. Um, anyway, I walked into this office and I was already a bit emotional um, internally. Um, and I went up to the reception and what I hadn't realised um, was that when I press send, I had copied the company like all of the company. Um, they didn't see the actual communications, but they saw my comment about it being vanilla milkshake. Oh, my God. So I walk into reception and everyone knows what's going to happen. And so, and they go, would you like a vanilla milkshake with that? <gasps> and I tell that story because of our McDonald's conversation yeah. earlier about me yeah. working there. So it's kind of like it stood with me. And after that, when you said, how did you feel about making, walking in there? After that, I felt a lot worse, obviously, because up to that point, I was like, I got this. I've done mergers and acquisitions before. Like I've worked in that space for, a, you know, a while. Um, but yeah, literally it will stay with me forever because uh, my heart just sunk. And I was like, and I knew it was me. So there was no one 
know, so you accidentally copied in yeah. all the staff to that company yeah. in that and email. For like, email is dangerous. It's dangerous. They need to cre- – I don't know how <laughs> they have not created like a send, there's like a five-minute buffer, you can check it, you know, just cro- double-check it for, for things like that because – yeah. It, that, um, that's it. Although yeah. if that was me and they had already known, I would have been like, mad, my job's done and you don't care anymore. Well, it was, there was <laughs> that. No, there was that. But, you know, um, it definitely wasn't as warm a reception mm-hmm. as, you know, even though we were giving them really good packages and, you know, we're going to look after them for months, you know, it was announced very early and all of that. Um, but it did teach me that um, I kind of, kind of went through that process and then I went, oh, I think I'm done. Like this is not what fills my heart. So, you know, you said when did you decide? I think it was around that time when I kind of went. <laughs> I would do it. I was like, oh, I don't want to be doing this forever. Like um, and tra- like I would literally be the one travelling to different companies to do stuff like that all the time and um, and also to rally the troops. I'd also be the one that go into a leadership conference and do the opening speech, whatever. Um, yeah, so it wasn't just the negative. It wasn't it just was, the negative. It was all of the culture and yeah. alignment and, and yeah, but I can't yeah, and I kind of went. Oh, I can learn from all of this and help other businesses more than one at a time. Um, and I met, um, I met. I don't know if you know of him. You probably do. Um, Dr. Jason Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like a motivational speaker, and he did a he a conference that I was running. He came and spoke. And at dinner he said to me, he was like, this is amazing what you've created here. Um, he said the way that you're communicating everything to these people, it's amazing. I've never seen anything like it before. And so he was like, you should think about doing your own thing. And I was like, yeah, should. Um, and that was the beginning really. Wow. Yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. And, and what was the corporate culture like at that time? When was this? Uh, so I left in six, started in 16, so around 14, 15. And so what's corporate culture? Particularly like, as a very high, uh, in a very high position, yeah. what's the culture? In, in, it's very political. Yeah, I've never been in the corporate it's, world it's before. Very, um, it's very political, very much, you know, email copying everyone. Um, well, you emailed copied too many. But <laughs> too many. But yes, but yeah, it's the kind of that... Um, defend what you're doing kind of mentality and I think very um, ve- but very much about also having fun. I think that was when the whole millennial chat started. Um, T- tell me what you mean by that. Um, so the whole who are these group of people that have entered the workforce and we don't recognise them and, oh, my God, why are they wearing jeans to the office and what? We're not at Google. Like this is a professional firm, that kind of thing. And like what? They want to leave at five o'clock? Are you kidding? That that kind of thing, right? That was when that was starting. And so there was the senior, more senior people that were kind of, you know, political, trying to get ahead, da, 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 da. And then the millennial group and then everyone else bitching about them essentially. Um, and I, I took a very deep interest in them as a group of people. Um, and in fact, I wrote a book called The Art of Employee Energy, which was based around millennials and what my understanding was just from working with them. Um, um, and I did some empirical research and stuff, but, um, but I remember at the time going, there's like these two groups of people, like literally like battling it out, um, in the culture, um, and that kind of friction, but then also joy because 
Millennials do bring joy, I think, to organisational culture that we've never had before, you know, like they have made it possible to have be more casual and have fun at work mm. and actually that's quite a cool thing, you know. Yeah, we are a good bunch. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like you just go, they made it possible, so, you know. And, and how did you guys merge the two worlds, the two cultures between the millennials and, and whatever's before that? Um, I think that, again, through understanding, so I think definitely understanding, um, I think we definitely um, tried to be more flexible. So I think there was definite things. So an example I can think back then, um, meeting etiquette was a big thing in this organisation and because it was a global company, lots conference calls then were a thing, like people were on conference calls because it was a global company. And um, there's a really good YouTube video I will share like another time, but um, where people kind of dial in and then they're not there and there's, you know, the issues of technology. But anyway, there was a thing about meeting etiquette. And instead of sending out a memo, which would be maybe what you'd do previously and going, this is our meeting etiquette, please follow it. Um, instead, we created a game. And so in every meeting room across the whole world, we created a game, which basically was a red card, green card, yellow card game. And every room had a set of cards in the middle of these all these meeting rooms and we gave everybody the ability to red card people if they didn't follow the etiquette and it was just an etiquette and it was very simple and it, we literally got the whole global company and this is a company of, you know, 5,000 people, like it's not tiny, um, to give each other cards and there was also green cards for like this person's amazing, like they're always prepared, the meetings run on time, we get shit done and then we leave. Um, and then they had reward systems and that. And so that was an example of adapting the culture to fit still what we wanted to accomplish, which was better meetings, right? And that, I think, is almost an example of how Corporate Crown was born because that was through understanding the audience. How do they want to be communicated to? How are they going to pay attention? But what do we still need them to do? Yeah, these guys just want to have a bit of fun. Instead of sending them a boring email, let's yeah. make it, let's gamify yeah. having good meeting yeah. etiquette. And what we did was the people that always got ex the person with the most green cards or something, they could choose a charity to spend money. Like it was, it kind of kept going. And I think that was just through our understanding of who they were um, and genuinely wanting to understand as well. Have you seen that same kind of generation? generational cultural shift in the new generation of uh, workforce? What would you call them? Are they, not gen, are they Gen Z? Z. Or, yeah? Yeah, Gen Z, I think. The so whack ones. One. Have you, have you, is, is there been a, have you now seen this happen again where millennials are like, oh, you know, originally before millennials were like, oh, these lazy people, they want to stop at five. Then it might have gone to three. Now they're like, oh, these guys don't even want to come to work. <laughs> I think I think the main shift I've noticed just in talking to people really and observing um, is that the really newest generation coming into the workforce, they are very much more focused on how does this add value to my life um, or to the community I live in or to the world I live in. And I think that wasn't nowhere near as strong with millennials. Mm -hmm. So I think, or it's not, I think it is, but... We, I think they're more purpose driven, very purpose driven, but also very much wanting to live a better life. Yeah, which is a great which quality. Is a, yeah, I mean, you could 
couple purpose with, well, you couldn't say it's ambition because, I mean, I think a lot of the traits are just lazy and won't get them very far. But, but, but the, I mean, the want for a better life, you could say, is, is ambition. Yeah. So coupling purpose with ambition, that's a really special per- – that, that could be a very powerful person for your, for your organisation. Yeah. Um, um, and you know what? Like if you think about it, not everybody having a, a better life means having more money and being able to afford a better life. No. Yeah, a lot of people having a better life is, you know, I just want a bit more work-life balance. Yeah. I want to spend more time with my family rather than at my office. So, yeah. You know, and, and those people are very important to have because not everybody can move up the ranks. No, exactly. And those people are happy staying where they are and, and I, yeah. I, you know, the bigger a business gets, the less people can go up the ranks, probably the more of those people you need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I also think with that new generation there is there is – on a more, ne- I guess, constructive or negative side, um, there is a bit of it's all about me as well, though. So I think there is that, and I think companies have to think about how do they break that down a little bit, um, so that there is an importance of team. Yeah, um, I hate that. I've yeah. seen that trait. Yeah, I see that traits in interviews. Yeah. So like in an interview, they almost like will ask questions. They're almost trying to get you to sell it to them. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. There are a lot less companies than there are people. Yes. Yeah. And there, you know, yeah. you, there are more of you than there are of us. Yeah. And therefore, I'm interviewing you. Yeah. That's how this works. Yeah. But but that's been lost. And that doesn't mean that you, you don't make your company attractive, an attractive place to work. No. Like, of course, you, you, you still want to get great talent and things like that. But it's almost offensive when someone applies for a job and then they, they're almost trying to make you, before they've even sold themselves, they're trying to get you. And, and I mean, that could just be this current situation we're in where um, um, businesses have been put in a position where they are disadvantaged towards the workforce in that, I mean, unemployment's so low mm. and COVID stopped everyone from migrating and moving yeah. and, and stopped a lot of jobs. Like it, 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 Tech companies did ridiculous, offered ridiculous things to the workforce yeah. and therefore destroyed its perspective on yeah. what's actually what actually works, which yeah. is proven now with them laying off thousands and thousands yeah. of people. It does not work. And the second the economy changes, they all fire everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are cycles and, and, you know, we've been through the past, I don't even want to say five years. I want to say like really since COVID, you know, it's not even that long, but we've been in a situation where the workforce had so much power, but that's not always the case. And and throughout history that goes up and down. And, and when that happens, just don't hire as many people. You know, yeah, like, or, exactly. Or, you know, it, yeah. it, it, that's easier said than done, particularly if it's a long stint where that's the case. Yeah. But, yeah. but, um, but it's just something as a business owner you have to you have to watch. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like property. If I want to buy a house, do I want to buy it when the market's ridiculous, yeah. or do I want to wait for a better market environment to buy mm, buy a few right. properties? It, it's 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 yeah. the same concept. The yeah. only the only difference is 
it, it is easier to fire someone than it is to sell a property. Yeah. You know, at, 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 the, at the price that you bought it in an up market in yes. a down market. Yes. You know, yeah, that's right. The liability is quicker. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just a lot yeah. to think about on that front. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because we um in t- talking about hiring people and, you know, getting rid of people in a downturn and all that. So um, we swapped to a freelance-only um, structure about three years ago before COVID, uh, about a year before COVID. Um, and now we have like a quite a big cohort um, of long-term freelancers, I call them. Um, so, um, and that has been great from a diversity of thought, from a creativity because they they can bring fresh ideas if they're doing other things as well. So in a creative environment that works really well. Um, it's very difficult to engineer a sense of team. So we've had to work really hard at making sure they're aligned to our purpose, you know, all of that. Um, but it's interesting because that does give you the flexibility to then go, okay, well, I'm going to hire this person, but actually if they don't work out or if they don't really buy into how I work, then there will be another person. Yeah, it's easy to, to move. It's it, it, it's re- I mean, your whole business is really innovative in the sense like yeah. you're doing, you. you're doing a, a, a typical industry but for a very niche and specialised area in you know, yeah. creative marketing process communications, but you're doing it for teams and talent. Yeah. You know, I like I said that that in itself is innovative and cool. And then the next innovation is you're saying, well, instead of being locked in with set full time staff, which I know you were at one point, yeah, you've almost innovated your workforce and you've gone, yeah. well, I want to have a pool of long term yeah. freelancers, which I mean is amazing for your business model yeah. because you don't have a high fixed cost. You can use the best people for the best roles. You've got a lot more creative input. Yeah. It actually sounds better. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And that allows them to dictate their hourly rate. Yeah, it's better for the It's better for them, you know, because they're going, well, I, I know what I'm worth and I, I kind of buy into that and I go, well, if I value your expertise, I'll have to pay what you're, you're saying your rate is. So there's no negotiation really about that. They just say my rate and then a year later they'll say my rate's gone up the same way that I might do that to clients. Um, and that works quite well. It's, it feels like it's a win-win. Um, although it is hard managing a large team that are all freelancers. Yeah, and how do you <laughs> that create? That does come with its challenges. Well, I mean, if anyone was specialised enough or expert enough to create a sense of camaraderie and team with a bunch of freelancers, it would be you. How do you How do you go about that? Um, I still have certain things that we all do. So um, we all follow the same process, the five-step process that we have in the agency um, we have whip meetings. What do you mean? We all follow the process. What process? So uh, we have a five-step process, uh, which starts with discovery, um, and then it goes through to connection, which is making those connections between what uh, the end goal and what makes the campaign successful to those discoveries. Um, and discoveries could be uh, everything that we talked about from the audience, everything we talked about what people want, um, the ha- competitor landscape, all of that research. Um, and then we go through to human, which is our third step, which is about how do you then start to simplify all of that data and how do you start to plan how you might activate the campaign? And that is before you even start what we call considered design. Um, so three steps, which probably take two-thirds of the time. 
before you get to then actually do some considered design and then we call individual simplicities our integration or application. And that's about... What do you mean by that? Basically creating the tools that a client can then take and use. Oh, to themselves. implement into their business. Yeah. And, and so when yeah. you said, so discovery, um, connection and then human. So discovery is, okay, we're going to figure out what people want and what the problems are and Yeah, data. and discovering what is not known to themselves mm-hmm. so so that other people can discover it. That's the idea, you know. So we're trying to find the little nuggets that are maybe you can't see because everyone can see that, you know, it's a cool company to work for, but what can't we see? Okay, yeah, what's behind the curtains? Yeah, good and bad, but, yeah, what, yeah what, what's really like? Yeah. And then connection. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So, so you've got the discovery, then what's the connection? Connection's all about how do you connect the dots between what the client needs us to accomplish, um, and that might be quite commercial outcome or the strategic plan. We need to really understand that. Um, how do we connect that to what we've learned? With the talent needs. With the ta- yeah. So we start to then marry the two up. Um, and that's a really important part of the process where we work quite much in partnership with the client. Um, and then we go to human, which is all about how do we make this simple, real. Um, for humans to understand. <laughs> and that's the ideation, you know, the development ideation, yeah, for everyone to understand but also to like connect with their life meaningfully. Um, so that would be that process. And we plan at that point you might plan um, – the comms plan for 12 months or the strategic plan for 12 months. See, that's the reason I, I just wanted to repeat it and go through in more detail is because that's something any business can really do. Yeah. You know, that you you can look at like you're doing it for your own business. You can just, you can have a discovery stage with your team to yeah. figure out, you know, what they like, what's going on, uh, whatnot. You can then uh, connect like, okay, what are we trying to achieve as an organization yeah. and how can these discovery points be used to help yes. us accomplish that? How can we use it to fuel team to do things or yeah. wh- whatever it may be? Yeah. Um, and, and then how can we, uh, human, how can we uh, communicate that in a sense to the team in a way that they, it's going to motivate them yes. as people? Like yeah. this is a yeah. really cool concept. Yeah. Um, which we have never done. We should probably do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. So it's it's pretty cool and like to be honest, like we've grown as a business, I think, because most clients come to us for one thing and then um, they'll then come back for something else later on because they've had a really good experience um, and or loyalty is really important in terms of referrals as well. So I find that most of our clients will refer us to other people um, and often I'll get a call and saying, hi, it's such and such from... I don't know, AGL, I heard I was talking to such and such who you used to, you did some work for at da-da-da and they told me, yeah, do you do this? Do you? Do you do this? Yes, we do. Okay. Um, and that's how their relationships start um, more often than not. And so is running your own organisation, mm. has it been much better for your life than working in a very big role at a corporate? Absolutely, yeah. And why is that? Because you did mention that you're, you're a mum and that yeah. the um, – Obviously, your family has needs and, and whatnot, uh, kids and whatnot. It, it, it did did having your own business give you the best of both worlds? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think I dictate my time, so I am. I think having your own business gives you the ability to say, really acknowledge 
that your time has a beginning and an end each day and that you've got to really work with it um, and decide, make your own decision about how you're going to spend that. Um, in the same way of what I say to people, what makes you happy, I'm constantly saying, okay, am I on track with this as well? You know, you need to like really assess that. Um, and having your own business gives you that ability um, to make those decisions. You know, I could go to a conference for three days away in Brisbane because it sounds amazing and I want to learn lots of things, but actually I could also stay an extra day and see the girls' swimming lesson. What do I want to do? And sometimes I'll choose the conference, you know, and other times I'll choose the swimming um, and it doesn't matter. I just I have the ability to make that choice. Yeah, that's what I love about business yeah. um, particularly for family people. It's, it gives you the ability to 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 be there in time, it's your choice. You don't always yeah. choose to be there, no. but 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 in general, but but you have the option, yeah, to 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 be there, yeah. And and I mean that also does take. Did it take you time to get the business to a stage where you had, yeah. I guess, enough? It was at a stage where you could leave, you know, in a sense, or like at the start of the business where there big hours being put in. Yes. Yeah. yeah, at the start of the business, probably the first. So at the start of the business, I also had a um, a business partner that joined at the beginning, um, and for the first couple of years, um, and we probably worked harder, longer hours, longer hours, because you're constantly thinking about your business. I think um, you're constantly thinking about it, even when you're at a dinner or when you know. I think that's what takes the toll at the beginning, um, but I read a great book, Rework, and it like it changed my outlook. Um, the book's called Rework? Rework, yeah. I didn't have to buy it. I haven't got it. Um, yeah, and it literally just talked about don't wait till everything's ready. Don't, um, you know, if you feel like you've developed something that can go, just go and then test it and then redo it. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and it talked about those choices as well, like making the right choices for you and your business because um, it is a win-win. Like it's got to be a win-win for both, you know, like you can't just be all about you as well and just go sit on the beach or something. Like that doesn't work either. Um, but, yeah, that, the first two years were really hard. Um, and then I think once I got actually really good team and freelancers that I thought were really capable um, – then I could then make those decisions more easily. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely relate to that The at the start of the business. Because actually at the start of the business there's less work in general because the business is smaller. Yeah. But your anxiety levels yeah. are higher. Yeah. You know, it's like you're still scared that you've got a business and you're still not 100% confident in your ability to get there or overcome it. So you're constantly, you know, that – when you have anxiety and you're always thinking about something yeah. or you something scary, yeah. you know, like it's always just sits there in your mind and eventually over years you kind of get that confidence where you're like, I don't need to think about this because it's not something I'm scared about anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think that's a yeah. really yeah. It's, yeah. like really relevant thing yeah. that people should be aware of, particularly new business owners, yeah. like that little – you know that, yeah, the thoughts. Go, yeah, and like if you get one client and then, you know, it comes to, I don't know, renewal of the contract or something and the anxiety that comes with like for months before and all that because what if I'm going to lose this one client, you know, that consumes you I think. And then like now, I mean, we've been seven years and 
yeah, if our client decides to leave, it's probably not right for either of us. And that's cool. But like, what a change in perspective. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah it's supposed to happen. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. That's the right thing to happen. Yeah. Um, As it, opposed to the beginning, you'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah are all my clients going to leave me? Yes. Like, does everyone hate my yeah. business? Yeah. yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah, you spiral out of control in your own head. Like, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. And so when wanting to keep up, you're obviously an expert in culture, team building, yeah. and in marketing as well. Are there any uh, books or things that you've read that you think others should read or, or, or get you know should should even watch uh, to help improve their knowledge in that area? In that specific area, I would say, um, well, rework's definitely good for new business. I think if you're setting up your own business, like that would be, I'd go there for that sure. That was just just start. You that know, was just, yeah, and it yeah. talks it talks a lot about um, culture and understanding your priorities and all of that. Um, I think there's a, um, a great book called The One Thing um, and that talks about how do you get teams to focus on one thing at a time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that and that's really hard. Like people go, one thing, like that's ridiculous. Um, and I remember and you try it and it, it, it does. It literally goes, what's the one thing in the year? So what's – and that tech makes you go, okay, what's the one thing that's really – just one that's really important for me? And then you peel it back, you peel it back, and eventually it talks you through how to just focus on one thing at a time and then you feel a sense of achievement. Um, and I often work with teams and go um, sometimes the anxiety and the um, lack of engagement motivation in a team is because they're all frantically trying to achieve too much too quickly or they don't know how to achieve what they need to achieve. Um, and so using that strategy works really well because it gets everyone like they're all working to that same um, philosophy, I suppose. And it's incredibly hard to do. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like yeah. simplifying things is is the hardest yeah. thing and, and create – because, I mean, there's a lot of layers to it. One thing is – you know, that team member based on their role should have one major KPI or goal or yeah. thing that they're working towards. Yeah. But then as a group, you know, as a, or as a team yeah. in that one sector, they as have one thing that they're working yeah. towards. And then that one thing, you know, f- you have to make sure that they understand how it fits into the one thing that yeah. the company's working yeah. towards. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. But, but, but you know that that's very important, I assume. Like yeah. that's. I think that's one of the key ingredients, I think, to try and get a company's humming but teams humming. Um, we talk about it has to be a win-win. So um, if a company's just driving for results, it's just never going to work unless the people also feel like they're getting equal value by being there. Um, so that alignment of what's the one thing is really important. And that's kind of the concept of if we hit this for the year, everybody gets a bonus yeah, and in the most basic form. Yeah. And also if that's what, as long as that's what that those people want, obviously. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You've got to, like you said, different people are, uh, yeah. have different needs. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, we do have to wrap it up because we are out of time. But thank you so much. That was such a fantastic conversation. No worries. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I just personally, like as we're talking, and I, I'm sure – uh, all the listeners or, or a lot of the listeners are doing the same thing is I wonder, you know, what my team, like the question that you made me yeah. think is what does my team say about Cub or our team to people that aren't on it? 
Yeah. You know, and what do people that are looking in see and, and yeah. what how do they perceive our team? Yeah. Like these are really big questions that the yeah. business owners should be looking at. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Evelyn. Thank you yeah. so much. Um, to our incredible listeners, if you um, want to find out more about Evelyn Jackson and Corporate Crayon, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find out more information there or get in contact with, uh, with Evelyn. And if you want to catch up with Cub on socials, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. You'll find a bunch of great content on Cub's uh, Instagram. It's going off. Evelyn, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. And for being a member of Cub. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show.